Hello all, uh, welcome back uh, to Sheep Won't Fly after a short summer break and or winter break depending on where you are. You're listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. And we have a new serial for the new year. Uh, for the next few months, I'm going to be reading Curse of Bronze, which is a novella I wrote a few years ago uh, and have largely been using as a reader magnet. So it's kind of a story designed to show you my style of fiction and the sorts of things I like to write about in the hopes that if they like this story, then people will sign up to my newsletter and read all my other stories. Um, it's also, it's Gaslamp Fantasy, but it was the, I, I had the idea of doing Gaslamp that's a little bit more into the age of electric, which we don't have a word for yet, so it's still very much uh, historical paranormal, but edging into something a little more 1930s than... Um, you know, as far as as far as some social elements uh, and things like that are concerned, as far as the aesthetic, honestly, I think we've still got, got gas lamps. Why not? Uh, who needs electricity? But it's my great archaeology uh, curse breakers series, which until now has just been a novella on its own. I have written a spin-off story from it. Uh, but because the anthology was postponed, has not yet appeared, I'm hoping that uh, Clandestine Press's Sherlock is a Girl's Name is going to come out sometime in 2024, in which case you're going to get to know one of Bella's sisters. Uh, and I've been meaning to write the sequel to this novella for the last several years, and just it's always been the last thing on the list, and I haven't managed it because... I know it's going to be a novella and not a story. I want to do it properly, but it hasn't quite had the same level of deadline pressure that's on my other series. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Gargoyle Mysteries, which is what this re refers to, um, belongs to, is going to be a proper series by the end of this year. But as of now, it is a very beautifully self-contained story about gargoyles, archaeologists, curses, uh, and that sort of thing. So I hope you enjoy it. And then after the next few months when the story winds up, there's going to be a brand new original uh, Tansy story, which is basically Jane Austen with dragons, uh, is my tagline. Uh, it's not massively original. I know there are other Jane Austen with dragons stories out there, but my particular take on it is something that I am very excited about and I've been dying to share it with others. So... Yeah, I wrote the first chapter this, this month. That was exciting. Otherwise, this month has been largely characterised by my library is full of boxes. I've been packing all the uh, Time of the Cat Kickstarter rewards. And it's been a lot. A lot of boxes. I'm down to less than 50 to send out. And maybe it doesn't sound like a massive amount, but it really is. Every box has to be so carefully checked. I live in dread of getting messages for people saying that I put in the wrong candle or the wrong tea or the wrong enamel pin and I'm going to have to send it all over again. I've had to sign like over a hundred books. Uh, what has made things very helpful, I found a great company which makes, um, you know, eco-friendly packaging and boxes and things like that. Of course, it all arrived as flat packs. 
And at one point I asked my my 14-year-old <laughs> Jemima to build me some boxes because they're actually really good at repetitive tasks that require careful thought, which is the exact opposite of things that I'm good at. Uh, I am good at chaos tasks that require doing things slightly differently each time. So I walked out, having asked Jemima to do this, and I went off to the shops. And I don't know if you know the fairy tale, uh, perhaps most beautifully told by Rick Mayle, about the porridge pot. So this is the magic porridge pot that produces porridge, and then the person running it forgets the password to switch it off, and the end result is a tidal wave of porridge. Um, I came home to find... (laughs) that my beautiful automated teenager had built 50 boxes and was still going. Uh, it was the most extraordinary thing. There were stacks everywhere. And and it's been great. I've been, I, I did, I did make them stop at that point. I've been working my way through stacks and stacks and stacks of boxes because 50 boxes is a, is, is a lot of boxes. Uh, in, and it, it filled like a good quarter of my library highly stacked up and I've been working my way through them and I'm actually getting to the stage where I'm down to the last couple of small piles and at some point in the next two days I'm going to have to ask Jemima to put more boxes together um so yeah that's exciting I've also weaned myself off bubble tape I'm using hex wrap now which is this magical origami paper so I feel at least like you know as soon as you start doing any kind of large project I think it's it's easy it's easier to feel the weight of environmental responsibility if you do a lot of small things and you can always tell yourself well this this small you know drop in the ocean this this small thing doesn't really matter but as soon as you're doing something a large stage it's like well I'm not a corporation but I feel I could take a little bit more collective responsibility here so that's been my month boxes and starting new things. And with that in mind, I will now start this new podcast. Curse of Bronze by Tansy Rayner Roberts Epigraph We could imagine nothing pleasanter than to spend all of our lives digging for relics of the past. Heinrich Schliemann Everything lost is made to be found. Lara Croft. Chapter 1. A Most Unusual Inheritance Bella Hathaway knew that her Aunt Charlotte was dead when the old bronze key appeared on her desk, hovering above her abandoned breakfast tray and an almost perfect translation of Isolde's werewolf quartet from the original Lupine. She knew that key like it was a member of her family. It always hung from Aunt Charlotte's belt loops, alongside a pouch of desert sand and a vial of snakebite antidote. A moment of deep, overwhelming grief tore through her, followed by a spreading numbness as she realised exactly what this meant. Me. How can it be me? Time to walk to the village to put in a telephone call to her sisters. Charity could not be found at any of the numbers she'd left behind, belonging to obscure hotels in far-flung countries. 
Faith answered on the second ring, sounding out of breath and slightly heroic, as always. Can't talk long. I have to leave the embassy tonight to cross the border to, well, I shouldn't say, loose lips sink ships and all that. Aunt Charlotte's dead, Bella said over the crackling on the line. Oh, I say, how rotten. There was a momentary pause as Faith took in the news. Poor old stick. Do you know what happened? Not yet. There's no official word from Lyceum. But her bronze key. Oh, said Faith, taking in her meaning right away. Congratulations, kid. Tag, you're it. You don't hate me? It was a strange thing to inherit a legacy that Bella was certain she did not deserve. Her sisters were the valiant ones, the war reporter and the daredevil duchess. She was just a translator of old books who had barely travelled outside her county, except when she went away to university. Someone had to stay home. Only now the opposite was true. Why would I mind? Faith laughed. I have enough adventures. And look at Charity, throwing herself out of blimps in ball gowns and skis. Of course it was going to be you who got the house. The house on Gramercy Street was their family's legacy. Bella had never even been allowed to visit. When you're older, perhaps, her mother used to say vaguely, never explaining more than that. Far too young, Aunt Charlotte agreed, even after Bella came of age. Maybe when you're forty or so. Bella was twenty-four years old, and the old bronze key had chosen her. The house was hers, which meant, of course, her aunt was dead. I can't just up sticks and go to the city, Bella said now to her sister. Don't you need me here? Nonsense, said Faith. Close up the cottage. I won't be home till Christmas, longer if this bally war continues in Balvoria. I'll send a telegram to Charity, and she can beg her second butler to come down from the manor and sort it all out for us with mothballs and what not. This is your time, Bella. Go and be marvellous. It all sounded so completely possible when Faith spoke like that as if Bella, too, could become an adventuress, with no cares in the world. All right, she said, straightening her shoulders. I'll go at once. It shouldn't cost more than sixpence to catch the train to the city. She could finish her translation on the way, and she'd better find a chain or a ribbon, so she could keep the bronze key around her neck. Watch for traps, Faith reminded her right before she rang off. You know what Aunt Charlotte was like? As if Bella needed reminding. Later that same day, Bella Hathaway arrived on the doorstep of the house on Gramercy Street, wearing her second-best boots and her most sensible skirt. The house was in a terraced row, all white stone and high windows, without a soul walking the streets between the train station and here. This was Lyceum, of course, City of Monsters, though it was hardly the done thing to say so these days. Most of the people who lived here kept to themselves until after the sun went down. 
Bella knew to look for the brass door-knocker, and found two doors side by side, each featuring a hideous, grotesque brass face, with a ring clasped in its lipless mouth. Twenty-two, she said under her breath, selecting the door on the right. She was almost silly enough to reach for the knocker, but the key in her pocket twitched, reminding her that she wasn't a visitor. She was the heir of the house. A familiar scent washed over her as Bella stepped into the front hallway, which was lined with dark shelves and glass cabinets, crammed with all manner of arcane objects. The smell was the same as she recalled from Aunt Charlotte's many flying visits to the cottage. Dust and sand and silver polish with a hint of Earl Grey. The floorboards creaked under Bella's buttoned boots as she walked very slowly down that long, narrow hallway. Was it her imagination, or did it curve slightly as she went? That couldn't be right. Houses were built in straight lines. No one added bendy bits to architecture, unless churches, vampires or duchesses were involved. There was a sound nearby, like a hiccup. Bella caught her breath. She had to be brave. She was the sister of two of the bravest women she knew. She wasn't going to let a few house creaks scare her. The items in the glass cabinets, now they were worthy of fear. Antiquities for the most part, many of them very odd indeed. Cups carved from bones, jewellery with too many spikes to be comfortable, jeering masks, animal skulls, a dagger that if you looked closely was still clearly crusted with ancient blood. Aunt Charlotte was a curse-breaker. These were her souvenirs. Every single item was a reminder that the women of the Hathaway family were adventurous to the bone. It was Bella's house now. She was the heir. Every strange, possibly cursed ancient item lay under her protection. It was a responsibility and one she had to take seriously. She couldn't let herself be put off by the shuffling, muttering noises clearly coming from a nearby room. Finally, a doorway. Taking a deep breath, Bella stepped into a perfectly pleasant parlour. The wallpaper was striped. There were fresh flowers on the dresser, a porcelain vase filled with roses and fern fronds and bleeding hearts in a formal arrangement. There was an abundance of furniture, large floral settees and armchairs, crammed together in an odd arrangement that no human surely would have chosen for themselves. There had to be eight side tables, all shoved too far back from the chairs to be any use at all. There was a tea trolley covered in teacups, each in a different design, and a large teapot designed for an enormous household, rather than a single curse-breaking aunt who lived alone. As Bella looked around, she heard a whisper, then another. It sounded an awful lot like the words, It's a guest! 
repeated over and over in high-pitched excitement. She was going to have to put her foot down. I'm not a guest, she said aloud. I'm Charlotte Hathaway's heir. I'm Bella. I belong here. To prove it, she set down her suitcase and looked around for somewhere to hang up her coat. A hum rose up from around her, and then one of the floral armchairs swung around as if pulled on a wire. Not very tall, are you? it accused. Now, Maggie, that's rude, said a side table. Let's have tea, suggested the mammoth teapot. Tea, Mrs. Tea, chorused the teacups, all jiggling like mad. Mad, yes, that was a word that Bella would prefer was not in her head right now. Excuse me, she said faintly. I'm going to have a bit of a look around, if that's... Don't ask permission from the furniture, that's a poor precedent. Don't let them see how unnerved you are. Standing tall in the hopes of looking confident, Bella circled the tea tray and another dresser. The parlour was in something of an L shape. Around the next corner she spied a blackened, blown-open hole in the far wall. Beyond the blistered wallpaper and broken plaster, there was an intriguingly book-lined room beyond. As Bella stepped up to the hole itself, a figure loomed out of the shadows, a beastly creature walking like a man in perfectly tailored waistcoat and trousers. He had the monstrous face of a golden lion that had been twisted in a funhouse mirror, fierce and cruel. Startled, Bella screamed. The beast in trousers, likewise startled, yelled out in return. Breathing hard, they stared at each other. Bella was instantly awash with embarrassment. This was Lyceum. Of course, non-humans lived here. Who are you? she asked, in a voice that was most definitely brave and not the least quavering. What are you doing in my aunt's house? My house, a small voice whispered inside her head. At least, she hoped it was inside her head and did not belong to the sideboard or the hat stand. The beastly gentleman, or gentlemanly beast, she could only hope, raised a bushy eyebrow at her. If your aunt is Charlotte Hathaway, he said in a voice that was more drawl than raw, then I'm the librarian. Aunt Charlotte has a librarian? Bella gasped. She has a library? If she'd been privy to this information earlier, they would have had to employ several beastly librarians to keep her away from the place. No, said the beast, speaking as if she was a slow learner. I have a library. Your Aunt Charlotte has a house full of cursed objects, one of which blew a hole in our shared wall some years ago. A blush rose on Bella's cheeks. Of course, she should have realised from the configuration this was a connecting wall. But then, what on earth was Aunt Charlotte thinking? to let her house remain gaping open like this, with a creature living next door, for years. It was most improper. Bella was quite cross about the whole thing for the three seconds it took for her to remember that Aunt Charlotte was dead. 
And then she did the worst thing possible. She burst into tears. Really, she was overdue, but how embarrassing. By the time Bella recovered her sensibilities, she was nestled in a large floral armchair with two over-friendly antimacassars snuggling her shoulders and whispering soothing nothings into her ear. Far too many lampshades gathered around her in a circle, as if to offer comfort, and actually giving her the overwhelming sensation that she was under inspection. The teapot wheeled herself into the room on her trolley, poured a cup of tea and added sugar, using methods that Bella hoped never to see again in her lifetime. She stared at the brimming teacup in quiet horror. She had never been less desirous of tea in her life. The beast librarian still stood at the hole in the wall. He had not stepped over their informal threshold, either out of politeness or from sensible caution, given the nature of the various objects that inhabited this house. I take it something terrible has happened, he said in a voice that might have been sympathetic, if it didn't come out in a terrifying growl. A bell clanged through the house, making the teacups shudder. Aunt Charlotte's dead, said Bella. Sounding like her voice was terribly far away. And there's someone at the door. The beast librarian bowed his head, so she could not see his expression. She very much wished to know what his reaction was to the news. Had he been a friendly neighbour to Charlotte? A lover? Goodness, did aunts have lovers? It was foolish to think otherwise. I'll leave you to your visitor, he said, in a softer version of his growl. Knock on the wall if you need to scream at someone again. He disappeared back into his own house, leaving Bella alone with a distressing cup of tea and an army of over-familiar furniture. The bell rang again. Pulling herself together, Bella got to her feet and made her way back to that dusty and ominous hallway. Please do stay where you are, she said more than once, as the furniture showed every intention of keeping her company one shuffle at a time. The front door felt like it was almost as far away as her own tiny, safe cottage. But Bella reached it without incident and threw it wide open. Hello, can I help you? Two uniformed policemen stood on her step, all blue serge and brass buttons. Are you a relative of Miss Charlotte Hathaway, the famous curse breaker? Asked the older one. The younger one unashamedly craned his neck as if trying to see beyond her into the house. I am her niece, said Bella. I'm sorry to inform you, madam. There's been a bit of an accident, said the older policeman. To his credit, he did seem genuinely sorry. Is there anyone else at home? Only me, said Bella. If you have bad news, you'd better get it over with. Most policemen probably did not turn up on doorsteps to discover that magical inheritance laws had carried word ahead of them. Or perhaps that sort of thing happened in Lyceum all the time. Oh, she's not dead, 
said the policeman quickly. At least we don't reckon so. It's all a bit delicate, really. Complicated, you might say. Weird, added the other, with an, with an overabundance of syllables for that particular word. Weird. Bella blinked several times. What do you mean she's not dead? In retrospect, that was a terribly suspicious thing to utter aloud. In her defence, it had been a trying day. And it was about to get so much worse. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawar land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutrawita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at TansyRR and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. This month on Patreon, uh, people at the $3 pledge level and above will have access to a new prose serial of the next Teacup Magic novella. Uh, so they'll be getting to read it before anybody else. The book actually releases to the general public in August, so you get quite far ahead. Uh, also, at the $3 level, you get access to the Gas Lamp, no wait, the Lamplighters Guild Discord, which is a fabulous community, uh, including the Patreon supporting fans of a bunch of very cool different Gas Lamp fantasy authors, including Olivia Atwater, Tilly Wallace, Stephanie Burgess, uh, Rosalie Oakes. Yeah, you can come along and join in. Uh, they're a lovely, as I said, it's a lovely bunch, but it is exclusive. You have to be a Patreon member, and I think $3 or above, of one of the authors in order to join. And obviously I'd prefer you were a member of my Patreon. So, yeah, think about joining in. There's lots of, uh, there's lots of cool books and stories to download, all that sort of thing. Uh, and... I will see you next week for more Curse of Bronze.